Listen, I heard something the other day when I was in the queue at the post office. Do rumours give us a means to escape our daily lives and dive into a fiction-filled fantasy world which we think we find more exciting? After years of epic dinner parties, long lunches and boozy brunches, we bring you Shaken and Stirred. Or rather, we are Shaken and Stirred. Or actually, I think I heard we were called Shaken and Stirred. Are we Shaken and Stirred? I don't know. Maybe it's just a rumour. This is Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker. My co-host is Tom Astor. And of course, on Shaken and Stirred, we talk about just about anything. Anything's possible. Nothing's taboo. I've got one of my favourite people from the dog pound, no less. Mm-hmm. But he's, well, I think, more famous for a few other things. One of which is the fact he has a best-selling, a New York Times best-selling book out, Sell It Like Sirhan. That's right. I have real estate mogul Ryan Sirhan in the studio. How are you? Good, my friend. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Congratulations. Thank you. Is that what the alcohol is for, or do you just do this for everybody? Well, let's talk about the alcohol. What have we got, Tom? What are we drinking? Uh, Manhattan, which I thought was appropriate, uh, from about the 1870s, invented the Manhattan Club, still claims the recipe and claims the uh, claims the kind of rights to the recipe, um, and in, in created, some say, by Winston Churchill's uh, mother, for Tilden, who was a uh, presidential candidate at the time. Um, so I thought that, that it was a nice tie-in. You know, I love the, the Winston Churchill tie-in. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. his, was it your great-grandmother? My great-grandmother, yeah. His great-grandmother was Nancy Astor, oh. who has a great quote of Winston Churchill, yeah. which goes, how's it go? I think he was drunk one day, and, and when he was drunk, probably most every of day. the time, every day. But he was in Parliament, they were, yeah, he was drunk, and she was a Christian scientist and vehemently anti-alcohol um, and teetotal. And she saw him drunk one day in Parliament and said to him, you know, Winston, you're drunk. And he said, uh, and you're ugly, but at least I'll be sober in the morning. <laughs> I might have heard it. You from me. So, so on that note. Yeah, so cheers. That, so on that note, cheers. Cheers. Great. Oh. Okay. Cheers. Fantastic. Well, you know, mm, mm. very delicious. I, we've got a little drinking song for you, right? Mm. We thought it was kind of appropriate. <laughs> Tom, shall we begin? Shall we? Do your balls hang low? Can you swing them to and fro? Can you tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a bow? Can you throw them over your shoulder like a regimental soldier? Do your balls hang low? They do now. And what's the relevance? Wow. Well, so first of all, you're probably wondering why on earth we're singing this. But if if you are like me and you've read Said It Like Sirhan, you'll know that balls in the air are extremely oh, important yes, to Ryan. Yes. And that he likes to talk about his balls quite a lot. Yes. And he tells you off for even having a slightly dirty mind at the yes. beginning yeah. about, oh, if you're going to laugh at the ball <laughs> comment. And as soon as she said that, I was in my car, actually. I was listening to it on Audible. Okay. And I thought, oh, my God, is he talking to me specifically? Yes, yes definitely to you when I wrote that. I was like, Nigel's going to read this, and he's going to give me crap in the gym about using the word balls too much. I need to make a footnote just for him so he doesn't give me crap. And there we go. There you Still go. Still giving me crap, even with the footnote. Unbelievable. I apologize on your Tell us. Thanks for the song. Great song. Tell us about your balls. <laughs> um, you know, balls also mean testicles, but in the point of the book, yes. you know, there's, there's that phrase to, you know, keep your balls up in the air um, and to have as many balls in the air as possible, especially when you're dealing with a volume business like sales. And it was just a very, very simple way for me when I first got into the sales business to kind of work out for myself and to talk to other salespeople about how to manage a sales career and how to build a sales business that isn't so up and down 
like a roller coaster like most people have it. Most people live deal by deal. Whether you're selling real estate or pencils or advertising or insurance, you're happy when you have a deal that's done and you're sad when a deal is, is dead and everything in between, you're kind of a chicken with its head cut off. But if you focus your business and your career and your productivity on having as many balls in the air, as many deals or as clients in the air as possible, then it doesn't matter when some fall and some die because that's not your job. Right. And if you take care of the work, and if you take care of keeping as many balls in the air as possible, the work will take care of you. And so that's that's the theory behind it. You know, it, it's funny I, listening to your book and certainly, you know, obviously, if you read the book, you know, I, I personally saw a lot of myself in the book. And I think a lot of people who are perhaps entrepreneurs and you know, have many types of deals going on at once, we'll be able to identify specifically. And it is it's it is the secret to not obviously just selling real estate, which you know, you make it very clear this book works for everyone. But and I'm a fashion photographer who works in television, who has a podcast, who's written books, who works out at a gym that's a part owner of XYZ. Mm-hmm. And I found actually that your advice, I felt like it was my book. Right. Like I, I without even thinking about it, that's how I am too. I have multiple yeah. balls in the air, multiple projects that I'm working on. Yeah. And some go high, some go low. Sometimes I can toss them to and fro. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, but, but I did see a lot of myself in it. But one of the things that I found sort of interesting, too, is that, you know, you talk about how insecure sometimes you have been in the past and yes. how you've doubted yourself and confidence has not always been your sort of main strength. Yet you are an incredibly confident person. In the book, you're in, you talk about how you, you know, you're closing these massive deals. You have the guts to do these things, you know. How much of it is you telling yourself and the sort of because I wanted to talk about rumors a little bit and sort of legends and myths, because with real estate, there is so much legend around property and about, yes. you know, building up the mystique of a property. How much of that is actually your own personal mystique and legend and myth? Um I, th- I think a lot of it, actually, you know, you're only as good as what you tell yourself you are. You know, it's it's you're not going to listen to what other people say um, if you are going to be a self-confident person. I was in L.A. when I first started in the business and I saw this broker who was the most confident, cool, collected guy. And he just he was talking about this big deal that he had just done um, and he was selling something. And I was like, wow, like this guy, he's the he's he's a great salesperson. He's got his stuff together. He must close 20 deals a day. Afterwards, we were having a drink. in Manhattan? Yeah, no, I don't think it was in Manhattan, uh, ironically enough. And it was probably like a Shirley Temple or something, super LA. And uh, and I asked him, I was like, so that deal, when did you close it last week? He's like, no, six years ago. It's like, right. six years ago? What do you what do you mean? He's like, yeah, no, it's the biggest deal I've ever done. It, it's been a tough year. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait. Like totally blew my mind. And it wasn't like he was lying. It wasn't like he was making stuff up. He just was picking which moments to be specific about kind of in his pitch to people and like no one needed to know that that one deal he had done happened six years ago or that the last year had been really tough because the market had tanked in 2008. And when I met him, that was in 2009, you know, but he carried himself because he woke up that morning, looked in the mirror and he gave himself that cool running speech of like, you know, everyone else has nothing compared to you. He pumped himself up, got super excited. And he did that deal yesterday in his own mind. And that's the kind of salesperson that he was going to be. And that kind of showed me that it's it, every day kind of the, the, the outlook that you have on life is completely up to you, right? It's that glass half empty, martini glass half, you know, half full type thing. And, you know, what side of the weather are you going to look at? You know, it could be sunny for you or it could be rainy for the same person. Um, and that's a, that's a big part of does, sales. That's a big part of being human, I think. Does how, how, does, 
have you got an ability to be able to completely um, distance yourself from how people perceive you? I mean, are, are you good? You live at, a very public life. Yeah. Uh, are you good I at th- shutting that off? I think, um, I think maybe to my detriment a little bit. Because it's, you know, the way I'm perceived by other people is not always the way that I think I'm putting myself out there. Like in the first couple of seasons of Million Dollar Listing, I just thought like, oh, okay, I'm a little funny on the show. They kind of edit me as like the witty guy. But then people would watch and they'd be like, oh, that's the asshole. Like that guy's the jerk. I'm like, really? Oh, man, is that the way I come off? Because I didn't really care, nor did I really pay attention to criticism. I just tried to do what I did the best that I possibly could and the best way I knew how so that, you know, I wouldn't get fired. Um, no, I hear you. I mean, I, I can tell you, having worked on television myself for many years, 18 seasons of Top Model, for example, yeah. and the number one thing that I would hear and read about myself was that I'm gay, mm. right? So everyone would always say I'm gay. Yeah. And it was constant. Um, and I've been married, I've got two children. And again, I never, you know, refuted. I never told anyone that that's not true. I, I, in fact, refused to. People would often say, they would try to egg me on. Go out there, prove you're not gay, say you're not gay. Prove you're not gay. This has been going on a long time. Even when I was at school. You know, I first met you when you were 14 and it was, you know. You're still, prove, you're still trying to prove your My nickname at school was Niger by Nige, which oh, sounds wow. like a perfume, right? Because I liked fashion and I liked design and I used to make clothes, yeah. right? But my point was, I don't, you know, this, this myth around me, this kind of concept, yeah. I don't care. And actually, I ended up developing a very large gay following yeah. who loved me on the show. And I am, I've always been a fan of the community. You're the straightest and, gay guy I know. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I joke sometimes that I'm a straight man t- trapped in a gay man's body. Yeah. Because everyone wants a gay man's body. So, right, you know, right, right, right. But it, it is something that is kind of interesting how, you know, when you, when you are in the public eye and people perceive you a certain way. And I've actually, I read that your wife, when she first met you, yeah. thought that you might be gay too. Yes. So you give off that vibe a t- t- tiny bit because you're so put together, she yeah, said. Yeah, and yeah. so kind of, you know. And she just come to New York and she was like, any guy that tucks his shirt in must be gay. You know, that was like, I think that was her initial kind of idea. And the fact that I actually like cared about myself. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I think I might have even told her I was gay until it was too late. And then she was like, wait, wait, you can't be gay. Well, yeah. Another way around. That's completely the different yeah, exactly. way of being gay. Brilliant. You know, you got to trick them. That's, that's, that's not even called playing hard to get. That's no. like sort of ticking yeah, a completely different box altogether. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so, so you, you effectively can do that thing of, there's that expression of people, that saying people use it, that if going back to, to, Perception, other people's perceptions of, of you and yeah. you know if two people you know two people are having a conversation about you and they're 100 yards away and you know that all they're doing is dishing they're just being unbelievably unpleasant about you they're just dishing the dirt and they're right, just calling right. every name on the sun. someone said to me the other day if you ever get that just remember that their conversation has got nothing to do with you it's yes. not your conversation yeah are you are, are you are you now able with 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 your, with your the success you found in, in the real estate are you able to to now Put that into practice quite easy? Uh, yes and no. Honestly, I think it depends on the day, like most people. I think when, you know, there are people that are insulting or mean or saying rude things, I think I still take it somewhat personally. Um, I think, honestly, it just depends on the mood. I, I just try to use, you know, like sayings like that, you know, and try to realize that if they're saying something bad about me, it probably means that they're insecure about themselves yeah. as much as possible. I just try to move on. I think, I, honestly, I try to keep myself as busy as possible where I just don't have time to even think about all of that stuff. Well, at least you don't have to eliminate someone week after week, you know, which was my right. problem. So yeah. you're, you're, you make, you're instantly making an enemy every single week and all their fans hate you immediately, right. regardless. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so 
what something that I found interesting too, which is not something I've done, but I do think I use it a lot, is you talk about improv a lot in your book. Now yeah. you were an actor. Yeah. Do you consider yourself sort of still an actor? Um, not really. No. I when I think acting, I think you know, like the movie I did and the soap opera and learning scripted lines and you know becoming a different character. You know, improv is reality, and reality is reality TV, which is what I what I do on on Bravo. Um, and that's really just kind of like yourself, but just heightened for cameras. So you know, everything that we do on Bravo, I might not do right now, but I could and I will because there's a camera in front of me. Um, if that makes sense to you. It does, but you also encourage your employees to, to take improv classes. And, things sure. like that. and and that is something I found interesting. I, I sort of heard that and I'm like, you know what, it's a very good idea. You know, because the ability to sort of stand on your feet and be able to handle almost any situation that's thrown at you in a way that, yeah. you know, and that's obviously why you, you talk about it. But just, I guess, expand a little bit on the on the process behind why you think it's so important. Yeah, I think that, well, when I first got into real estate, I did not want to be a real estate agent. I did not want to be a salesperson. I thought real estate brokers are the worst. I literally just got my license in 2008 because I needed to pay rent and I didn't want to move home to Colorado. And then once I started doing it, I saw that I, I kind of had the ability to talk to people and show them apartments and it wasn't that hard um, but I had to look at kind of like what my toolbox was you know I, I went to the art school but you know an English lit degree wasn't really helping me sell real estate you know what did I learn growing up as a kid what kind of you know behavioral skills and technical skills that I learned growing up that were going to help me sell and a big part of that was my acting background but not for the ability to memorize lines but for the ability to to improv and to improvise in tough situations. And it's kind of twofold. And it's the reason I have every salesperson I know take improv classes. On one side, it's the ability just to open up and to be a more full person and to be able to ask questions and to be able to listen and then respond instead of listening just to reply, to say whatever you want to say. And to be able to talk to people on the street and talk to people at parties and to be able to make more friends and like live a more full life. Improv teaches you that. And then on the other side, it's how to handle objections, which any salesperson is always going to get that you have a deal on the table and they decide they're going to buy it online. Okay. Well, what can you say in that moment other than, okay, thanks for your time. That's going to help make that deal happen. Or, you know, in my business, it's, I was going to buy it, but I don't like the windows anymore. Okay. Well, is it really the windows or is it something else? Let's talk about it. You know, it, it teaches you how to always say yes. Right. And I think that's been the big through line to my entire life, which is just yes. And which is the one rule of improv say yes. And you figure it out. Mm -hmm. There's never the word no. And there's a lot of games that I put into the book for people to to kind of practice with each other, different salespeople, their you know their parents, their brothers, just to be able to get themselves out of their own way. And that goes a long, long way. We were very happy that your rule of thumb is to say yes. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be on the show at all. Right. Well, when, when Nigel <laughs> emails you and he's like, hey, you have to come do this. But my answer is, okay, sir. I'll be there. You know no, what? No, no. Well, I, we have this conversation on the way, and I said, "Well, my why is Ryan? Why is he coming on your show at all? I mean, on our, <laughs> or on our show, on this show?" I said, "Is it is it because because I've gone through your book as well?" And, you know, I was like, "Is it because uh, you know he never says no to anything?" So do you think he just said yes? Do you think he's also woken up this morning thinking, "Why the hell?" <laughs> Looking at my calendar, like, yeah. "What is this weird block I agreed to for an hour?" He's got he's, no. he's millions of dollars worth of listings are not being sold at this particular moment. That is, is, is a true fact. Okay. That is a true fact. How That's much why money? 
phone really sitting right in front of me. I don't know, but it'll cost me something. But it's okay. I have a good team around me. He doesn't indeed have his phone literally in front of him. Every other guest we've ever had on the show hides their phone, leaves it outside. But no. Ryan is completely different. He's managed to multitask and he's actually answering all these questions simultaneously texting, <laughs> which I think is extraordinary. I've never quite known anything like it. But you are very, very good at the multitask. And I, you know, reading a book and I'm looking through, I hear what you say about how you start your day. You get up at the god awful hour of, what is it, four o'clock in the morning, 4.30 in the morning? Dep- depends on the day. Most it's 4.30 or 5, depending on the day. Yeah. Which is uh, 4.30 or 5. I mean, both, quite frankly. Yeah. But both, so do you. Kind of. Not uh, as early as that. I have children, yeah. right? So my kids are going to get them to school. Sure. So I have a sort of an, an excuse. Your excuse is just your drive to be so successful. And of course, all those listings, and all those people who work for you. But, but it's very interesting how you say you, you wake up and you know, every minute is sort of accounted for. And I love the fact that you go to the gym, which I, of course, I've been to the gym. Yes. We work out together 5.45 in the morning at the Dog Pound, which, by the way, you don't mention enough in your book. What? Really? You mentioned every other gym. Oh, oh, oh because I couldn't, listen, I couldn't have afforded the dog pound had it existed 10 years ago. Um, tish, it, tish. It would have been awesome. Though. We should have paid him. to the reality yeah, of why yeah. he invited you on the show just to give yeah, you a dressing, exactly. give you a dressing down. But I loved the one line that I particularly loved and I thought was really clever. Well, it's not even a line. This is just the truth of it. But, yeah. but it also goes back to the concept of rumors, which is kind of one of the things we'd love to talk about on the show, is that you know, you say you, you, you answer emails at what, what time is it that you answer emails? 5.45 or 6, 6.45? What's yeah, that time? To, I mean, before 6 a.m. So between like between like 4.30 and 5.30 is a great time to answer email. And why? Because when the person who gets it is waking up, they'll see that I've already been at my day an hour, two or three hours before them and they'll know what the fuck is up. You see, that is what I'm talking about. You know, the perception of yeah. who you are. And of course, it's true. This is the man who you are. But I love the fact you're sort of you're thinking ahead, not just of the answer of the email, but the timing when they yes. see that you are up at that hour and they know you're a New Yorker. Yes. They're like, wait a second. This guy is always going to beat me at every yeah. race, at every event. I mean, it, it works, though. It's um, it's it's, you know, every email, every text, every conversation that I have. It's not just about what I'm saying or how I'm saying it. It's it's when. Right. It's the reason and it's the anticipation for how the message is then delivered. And a big part of that is you can do through email just through when the email gets sent, because for a lot of my clients, especially, you know, brokers I'm trying to do deals with. They'll wake up and they'll see my email so came on, through at like four forty five. You're on the front foot, so you you basically four forty five. You send an email through. By the time they get to answer, it's an hour and a half later. So they wake up yeah. instantly feeling bad about themselves that <laughs> they haven't been more astute. So they're already on the back foot, writing you a response, going, "Sorry, I haven't answered this sooner." Which in in, in, in for most people, if you're not emailing at five in the morning, unless right. you're a squirrel, right? Well, what's funny <laughs> is that a lot of people write back to me. They'll be like. 4.40? Really, Sir Hant? Ugh, I'll call you in an hour. I just woke up. Uh. So they, so it kind of starts it that way. But listen, it's like a big part of, of my life anyway, because I, I have an office, but people don't come to my office. You know, I'm like, I am my own office, you know? So the way I look, the way I, I my impression to people, that first impression is super, super important. And I learned at the beginning of my career that your first impression is your last impression if you're not careful. And so that's how you appear. That's how I, how, when I meet people the first time, that's the time I send emails. Like if I, if someone reaches out to me to sell a home, 
most people will just go to them, you know, tomorrow, two o'clock, if that's the appointment. For me, that moment I hang up the phone, we have like a little pitch book and box in our office. We messenger it to their place with a little note that says, hey, it was so good talking to you two minutes ago. Really looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. So when they get home that day, every other real estate broker I'm competing with is just going to meet them tomorrow. But they've got this little present for me. They don't know what it is. They open it up and the note says, so good talking to you two minutes ago. That first impression for me, 90% of my job is done the minute I walk in the door tomorrow, wow. right? Wow. So little things like that, which don't really cost anything, but that extra forethought goes a long, long way for, for the sales business, you know, and for kind of anything really. Well, it's attention to detail too. And I, and I think that, you know, there's something else you do, which is, you know, you get a business card from someone and you respond, you write to them on, you know, with the information on that business card, you send them an email, minutes after you receive it or yeah. half an hour after you get it or that evening yeah. not the following day not two days later not a week later when you find it in your bag and you're like oh god that guy i'm at right. that party you follow up and even when i emailed you and yes we're friends but i have friends and put it this way i'm friends with a lot of interesting people but one of the people who i know who's like you is a man called hugh jackman yeah. who is someone as well who's incredibly busy and as much as that sounds like i'm names dropping i'm saying it specifically because if i email Hugh, like i email you within 30 minutes, an hour, he's responded. Right. No matter where he is in the world, no matter what he's doing, yeah, he's crazy. responded to me. And I think to myself, like, how does he do that? <laughs> I wish I could do that. I feel so bad when I don't. And I wait the whole day and I get back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've yeah. missed this. I haven't well, said well, that. They both, you know, and um, um, Ryan, they've both got drivers, which helps. So texting is a little easier when you're sitting in the road. Maybe, maybe possibly. It, that is know. true. That you is know? true. That is true. Is that the secret to your success, having a driver? driver? <laughs> I mean, uh, no, I don't think it's that complicated. I think you just, you know. In New York it. City. Can you drive me, Tom? Don't. Yeah. <laughs> I bought him over here as my valet. How much fun would that He be? may have to become my driver. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. In New York City, you know, my running around all day long, I only want to focus every day on, like, the way I built my team anyways, where I'm the quarterback, my team is every other position, which means they can all be rock stars. They can all be amazing. They can all make money. They can all be successful. But my job is to quarterback deals, which means that I only do do all day long what I can do, which means that I don't involve myself in other busy work where most other people would. And then they get too busy, busy, busy. Then they can't respond to people in time. And then they wait till Friday. And then they're like, I'm so sorry. Things have been so crazy. That's only because of, of time management um, and the driver of all things. I mean, the driver, I got my driver and, uh, and car way before I could ever afford it. It was a heart attack for such a long time. time. Yeah, because it, I was like, you know what? This is the investment I have to make into my business. The same way, like when I got my first assistant, could not afford him either. Um, I was like, I'm just, I, it's, I, I spent too much time looking for taxis at the time because Uber wasn't around, looking for taxis, going into the subway, losing service, coming out. Then I'd be half an hour late. I'm like, what, what can I do with all that time? How much would that extra time be worth to me? I did the back end math and was like, wait a minute so stupid. I, I'm losing more money kind of hypothetically than I would be if I were just to figure out what my transportation could be like without any focus. That way I go from my home office to my mobile office, to my office office, to my mobile office, back and forth, back and forth. Um, if I could sell it like Sirhan, I would also have a driver. But, there's, you've, no, you've but no, you also, have one. He's right here. No, 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 he's, also just, he's also just blowing the whole thing up, the, the, his need for a driver out of the water because, you know, describing what you're doing and, and what I do, what you do. Yeah, I'm yeah quite. I think you don't qualify, but still. Uh, you know, still so happy to drive, though. <laughs> thank you. Well, please. When, when I'm not drinking. When you're not drinking. That's well, that the, would be a problem. If you, you drive when I am. That's the yeah. problem, though. You'd be see. mixing cocktails in the front seat all the time. You'd be in the breakdown lane. There we go. <laughs> Definitely more shaken than stirred. Yes. I want to talk about real estate in New York City. Uh, the, you know, a bulk of the, the most amazing real estate here, you know, buildings like Empire State Building. 
uh, this is where Tom falls into the place. Tom's family actually built the Empire State Building. Oh, look at you. Or well, we own the land that it was built on. We own oh, wow. the land that it was built on. Wow, that's, that's crazy. All, it, it gets worse, actually. I mean, it gets all our real... The, our, our pitch with sort of our involvement with real estate, I think, came to an end in the 60s when my grandfather and his brothers were summoned to New York to oh. look at these tracks of Manhattan that we still owned. And, you know, what did they want to, you know, what did they want to do with it? And at the time, I, it was August. Yeah, it's so my hot. My grandfather, well, not, it's worse than that. My grandfather, I think, would have preferred to be on the grass moors. That's when the grass shooting season starts. Right, right, right. Hated America. <laughs> His idea of hell was to come get because in those days, it was, maybe it was in the, actually the 50s, but it was, it was pre-jet fight, so you had to get, you could still get in the boats over. Oh. All the way over here. Super hot. Hated yeah. America. Sat in a room with the lawyer saying, look, you own this. What should we do with all this? And, the, and I think all the three brothers got together and said, just uh, none of us are interested. We're all based in England. We're all settled in England now. Just get rid of it. You know, just settle. Oh. Unfortunately, otherwise you and I could be having a completely different conversation today. <laughs> <laughs> we might be trying to carve some, uh, put some yeah. doors together. Anyway. Yeah. So when it comes Lesson, and all of our stories and all buy of and those hold. things, you know. Buy and hold. Which as we, uh, as we drove past earlier, we drove past all of our stories. Nigel was in the US going, oh, no, there's an old, old favourite, another family, another family edifice. Like, and my sort of poor response was, is that is that Hilton that owns that now? I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's... So I guess the myth around some of these buildings, like there are these great stories. And yeah. you talk about how a story can, can sell a building or yes. not. And how, you know, this sort of the heritage aspect yeah. is so important. It, Talk about that a little bit more. I mean, why you know why does a, a, a brownstone that had Billy Holiday's family living in it, you know, b- even though it's un, you know not actually, what, how, what's the word for it? Decorated in a way that you right, can sell right, it, right, right, right. staged as you it's say. Just the history. It's not staged. It's just the history. She talk, you talk about this in the book, and I found that very fascinating. Yeah. There is a brownstone just like another one, but not staged in the way that it should be. Perhaps not as desirable just from the bare bones, but the history alone is what sells it. Why That's are right. we so motivated by those stories? Um, well, for one, I mean, I think humans enjoy storytelling and listening to stories from like the dawn of the campfire. You know, it's it's the reason for moving south or north or east or west based on the story of what's to come. But stories for me, um, you know, and the idea that facts tell but stories sell is all about brand. Right. Like we started this whole podcast with the history of Winston Churchill and, the, you know, and, the, and your family and kind of like the name and this, that. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this isn't just a Manhattan. It's not just alcohol. There's a history to this drink, which kind of makes it more fun to drink because now, you know, for sales, it's the same thing. Whether you're selling a drink or selling a brownstone, kind of the history there is then just the brand of that product. So the brand of the Manhattan now has a lot more you know, worth to me than an alcoholic beverage that could be over there that I don't even know what the history is. It could just be, I don't know, vodka with Red Bull. I don't know what the history to that is, but it sounds like a lot of bad decisions, right? This sounds like <laughs> it's got a lot of history to me. So when we sell real estate, you always try to find, you know, the the background and um, kind of the weight to it, right? The same thing with where you're selling bags. There's a difference between a bag at Gap and a Birkin bag. Obviously, they're made differently. They're made by different people. There's level of attention and detail, but they both still hold your stuff, you know, and someone will pay a lot more money for one than they will for the other in a huge part because of the history and the brand that this, and the story that is sold with that particular product. What is the best brand right now for you? 
um, what what is the ultimate selling point? What what really sells a property? What is, what, is there some brand? Is there some name attached to a building or to an area? Because yeah. you go into areas like Brooklyn yeah. and you have to create a brand. You have to invent it from the ground up. Are there things you bring in? Are there names you leverage? I mean, every neighborhood in New York City, every building, every block is completely different. Um, when we're selling developments, right, the developer brand and the architect brand go a long way. You know, if we're selling a... Is Sirhant enough? Is that all no, you need these no, days? Just I stick Sirhant on I it? I wish. I wish. But, you know, like we're selling a building and the architect and designer was Thomas Jewel Hansen, who's very, very famous. He's done some of the biggest, coolest towers in the city. You put his brand name on a building, people want to buy it more. They are will they're willing to pay for it more. It's 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 amazing. Obviously, the building is yeah. The building can be better. The design is cooler. You but you know it's his and not just someone who just graduated design school who could obviously design a really cool building as well. There's certain developer names. There's certain appliance names. You know you have a Gaganow appliance package versus a Samsung appliance package or a GE appliance package. Someone will pay more for that Gaganow appliance package kitchen because it looks like they spent the extra money, which they did. But then it makes the whole kitchen seem more valuable. Valuable, which then makes the whole home seem more valuable. It's like little things like that. It's funny because I always see things like that and I hear about things like that. And I think to myself, really, you can't imagine it without it. You yeah. can't go in there and do it yourself. Yeah, no. I mean, you can't go no, into People can't. <laughs> I mean, that's what I find shocking. People I mean, can't. No. no, they can't. They have no idea by all accounts. They. I mean, I, I'm doing redoing my basement right now. And yeah. I, it's a complete blank canvas. And I've had the most fun thinking of every little detail and aspect and you know concept. But of course... I come from a creative field and I, sure. other people want to go in and be turnkey yeah. from the moment they step in. Now, something else that, that I find interesting and that, that we, I wanted to know your, what, what your take on it was or how it's affected your career is when I started on Top Model, and you're about the only person I can talk to about it because you have a sort of a similar career path to me. Um, as a photographer, it was a risk. And I know that you sure. thought about taking on, you know, going on a million dollar listing, which of course has become an incredibly successful show and people love you for it. And when I tell people, mention your name, the first thing they say is, oh my God, I love him on million dollar listing. I love that guy. People come up to me in the street still. I don't believe And they say to me, they know, they, well, they know me and they follow my Instagram and, and what's Ryan like? And sometimes I'm like, what do you mean? Who's Ryan? Like, as if <laughs> God, I would know you. This is a perfect moment for a rumor. My God, you could start the most brilliant stories. I know. Yeah. And literally, I'm like, what do you mean? What do you say? And they're He's like, super gay. <laughs> well, they see the pictures of you and I hanging out at 5.45 exactly. in the morning, you know, sweating all over each other. Yes. Well, so no comment yeah. then. Yeah, no comment. Worse. Yeah, I no comment. imagine what uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has it has <laughs> did did the you know the the film the television the Bravo show million dollar listing did it help your career or did it not because it, I my my career was actually hindered by America's Next Top Model really? until about season ten when it sort of turned which took a long time yeah I I mean I, my story is a little bit different in the sense that. I got into the business in September 2008, the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. I did rentals for about a year and a half, maybe sold like two apartments, then went to an open casting call for the New York version of Million Dollar Listing, which was a show based on Los Angeles real estate brokers on Bravo. 3,000 real estate agents showed up, but... I knew going in there, I was like, you know what? If I can get on a reality TV show, because before when I was acting in the city, I got onto As the World Turns by doing a reality internet show called Intern. 
And I, there was 12 agents, uh, not sorry, agents, 12 actors that were hired, very much like next uh, America's Next Top Model. And we were thrown into a loft in Brooklyn and we had to audition every day. And one of us was cut to get a role on that show. And I won. And so I kind of had realized what the reality game was like. And so I knew what to do in front of the camera the minute they were like, why you? You know, we see 3,000 brokers. And then I got onto that show and the show gave me immediate notoriety and credibility. And I knew that a lot of people weren't going to want to work with me because I was on a Bravo show. show. I knew a lot of people were just going to say, oh, it's just TV, which they still do to this day. But I also knew on the flip side, millions of people, if we do it right, are going to see this show and are going to look at me and they're going to say, that's the real estate guy. That's the guy who sells things and he's on TV. So if NBC Universal trusted him to sell real estate, then I can't too. Will you sell a million dollar property? I'm like, sure, absolutely. And so I used it to help me open doors. I, my answer might be different if the show started right now because I was I was so fresh into it. Uh, we're going on our eighth season now, which is pretty crazy. Which is why it goes back to rumors again. This goes back to the rumors mm-hmm. and legends aspect of things where, you know, same likewise, when I went on Top Model, I was an up and coming photographer. Yeah. I knew it was a bit of a risk because I was doing quite well. You know, my career began to take off. Yeah. And if you go into something like primetime television, it's considered to be a commercial sort of sellout a little bit. Yeah. Will people trust you? Are you just TV? Yeah. Are you an actor? Do you really know what you're talking about? Right. You know, how much of this is smoke and mirrors? Yeah. You know, all of that kind of thing. And I, and I, you know, I rolled the dice. And of course, now with hindsight, it makes it, it was a great idea. Yeah, you know, my whole career complete, took off. Completely but, unwatchable. Sorry, I, I, couldn't, I, mean, I, tr- I tried. As, a, as an old friend of his, I tried once or twice, but I'm sorry. Like, like girlfriends friends made me watch that show so much. So, much. so both you of you boys. Tell me you didn't actually no, sit through. There, there were a couple of seasons where I was rooting, was crying. It was, it was emotional. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a crier. Nigel, Nigel was tough. He was a tough one. Was, I couldn't get I'm still into. tough. Yeah. But I love it because neither of you are really my demographic, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing actually is in airports when I'll, a sort of a guy will come up to me and go, and he'll recognize me and suddenly his face will drain because he's pointing at me and saying hello and then he realizes why he knows yeah, yeah, yeah. me oh and my so, god can i just say at this particular moment when i was about 14 years old airports you at airports this is an absolute true story my mother we were going on holiday and we we're going on a family holiday my mother took me to go and buy some underwear you know she said have you got enough pants or whatever and i was like 14 i was like oh yeah grunt so off we went to wherever it was and she was flicking through the uh you know, flicking through. How about these? How about these boxer shorts? How about these? And I said, well, you know, or she picked out a pair of jockey wear. I said, how about these? I went, Christ, a jockey wear. She said, oh my God, look who it is. And it was Nigel. And it in was the Nigel. underwear. And it was the first image I'd seen of him modeling was on an underwear packet being held up by my mother. And I That's just thought, awesome. Speechless. Still am. Do, you, do, you, wear that, do you wear that underwear to this day? No, I didn't, but I had you to sure? go somewhere else. I had to go somewhere else. I couldn't possibly. It, it, it actually, it you know, it, it might have been the reason for his first girlfriend, in fact. Yeah, probably. I'll take full credit for oh that. Oh, my gosh. So there you go. Anyway, it goes back to the whole fact that, you know, for me, a lot of my own career, you know, I had to work at it and work extra hard yeah. in order to sort of get past the, the, the rumor legend aspect of, you know, are you the real deal sure. or are you not the real deal? Obviously, clearly you are. You've sold more real estate in New York than almost anyone else, if not anyone else. Is that correct? I think so. Number one team? Yes. And number five? Two in the country. Two in the country. And in Brooklyn, 
number five, which I thought uh, was funny that you put it in there. No, I no, saw no. that. It's uh, yeah, no, it's um, that was a different uh, ranking, but it's number one in New York, number two in the country. But when it came down down to like just Brooklyn amongst people who sell in Brooklyn, it was number five. When it was just Manhattan, it was one. But altogether, it was number one. So, so. Yeah, I love it. You see how competitive he is. Yeah, yeah. I just have to define it, okay? I'm I'm loving the fact. I defining sense that it was overall, it was number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the number. That's number. He's number one. He's a New York Times bestseller. It's Ryan Serhant. He's also a dog pounder. Yes. We are very thankful to have you in studio today. Yes. Shaking and staring it up. Yes. So far, so good. Well, I'm, you know, I don't want to take you away from your million-dollar listings that you've got coming up. You have your cell phone. Literally, it's tucked to you. It's, it's a bit so like my, close to it. My dog holds his phone like you hold your yeah. phone, by the way. Yeah. Like, don't this touch is, it. It's, it's mine. It's my life, man. I'm shameless about it. You know, it's, I, it's like I told my wife. I'm like, listen, just so you know, you know what you're about to marry, right? Like, this is this is what you're marrying. If, if I had another job, I would be doing something else. But this is what it is. And she's like, I got it. Will you ever turn it off? I'm like, sometimes, maybe. We'll talk about it. So why is your wife not here? When you came on The Gentleman's Code, yes. my other show, you brought your wife. Uh, because we were promoting our, our, our wedding spin-off show uh, at that time. Now she's at work, I think. Not, yeah. not promoting anything. The wife stays at home. Yeah, I love exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, or does her own thing. She doesn't need to be here following me around all the time. She has her own life. She's good. So get sell it like Sirhan. It's an incredible read, quite frankly, even if you're a success. And if you're not, you need this book just to remind you of what you're doing and what to do. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you can get it on Audible. And of course, you can catch him on Sell It Like Sirhan and also Million Dollar Listing on Bravo. Yes. Congratulations. And hey, he's a dog pounder. So he's a good guy. Thanks for actually reading the book. You know, I do a lot of these interviews since the book came out, and a lot of people are just kind of like giving the cliff notes, but you've actually read it, so so pound it to that. Pound I appreciate it. it. We're in it for real. This is Shaken and Stirred. Thank you very much. Thank you.